Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Elaine Poffelt. Elaine is an independent journalist, editor, and professional speaker specializing in careers and entrepreneurship. She's also the author of the amazing book, The Million Dollar One-Person Business, Make Great Money, Work the Way You Like, Have the Life You Want. Elaine. Say hello to the Tech and Main Presents audience. Hello, everybody. It's great to be here. And thank you so much, Sean, for having me on the podcast. Elaine, you're welcome. And so I do have to give our audience a disclaimer. Um, Elaine is a good friend of mine and um, has been for the last couple of years. And so it's an honor to have her on as my friend, but also to have her on as a thought leader. And so, Elaine, thank you so much for carving some time out of your day to be with us. Oh, thank you so much, Sean. It's, it's a real pleasure, and I'm so excited about what you're doing with the podcast. Thanks, Elaine. Thanks. And so, Elaine, with that, why don't you go ahead and share your background with our audience? Sure. Well, I am a journalist who specializes in entrepreneurship and careers. I was a senior editor at Fortune Small Business Magazine and website for eight years. And then in 2007, I went freelance, um, in part because I'm a mother of four. Um, my kids are now ages 10 through 16, and I have a busy life, but I have the best of both worlds, and I'm very happy about it. Awesome. And so, Elaine, as we were talking before the podcast actually officially kicked off. You and I connected via social media a couple of years back based on the book that you wrote. And so obviously I was excited to connect with an actual author and um, the book uh, really spoke to me because it was right around that time that I had started my own business. And of course, being a journalist by trade, I would want to find out from you what has you most excited about your daily work? My book work gets me very excited, Sean. I just updated the Million Dollar One Person Business for the paperback edition, and it's coming out with a, a number of new examples of businesses in the area of professional services and personal services, um, like a, a babysitting company that has gotten to $1 million in revenue. Um, so that, that's been a lot of fun, just seeing all the different ways that people who are in situations where they have limited numbers of hours to sell are transcending that and still getting to 1 million because that's a notoriously hard area to get to 1 million. And now I'm working on my next book for Norton. It's called Tiny Business, Big Money. And it looks at businesses that are at that next stage past the million dollar one person business. They're seven figure businesses with tiny teams 
by design. The owners still want to have a great lifestyle, but maybe they're in a field where maybe they need an admin, you know, or they're in a service business where somebody's got to be at the front desk so they can be in the back doing their thing, whatever it may be. So I'm looking at how do they build a culture? How do they work together? When you have an extended team all over the world, how do you find those great people and make sure they're working in sync? And it's been a lot of fun. I'm in the thick of the writing now, and that one is coming out in September of 2022. It seems like a long way off, but my chapters are all due by February of 2021. Okay. So, <laughs> so the pressure is on, right? Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Elaine, we're definitely looking forward to seeing that new work, but you know, certainly, obviously, when we do the show notes and this episode comes out, all of your contact information and you know, book information will be in the show notes as well. But let's find out from you, Elaine, as a journalist and author, what are your thoughts on the role of technology in our culture? I have found technology to be tremendously empowering, Sean. I, as, as, a, as a mother, this is what allows me to do the work that I do and to have the business that I have. Because if I couldn't tunnel in to my computer back when, you know, in the early days of um, working online, I guess, um, at Time Inc., I would have never realized that I could then take that next step into being a freelancer. I, that's what I did at Time Inc. I, when I, I had premature twins and they needed, you know, a lot of extra medical care when they were very small. And so I worked on an arrangement with Time Inc. where I only went into the office one day a week and the other four I'd worked from home, but it was with a VPN line. So I was always grateful for VPN technology, but it also made me more tech savvy. So when I had my own business, I was always trying to keep up on the latest tools that would allow me the maximum flexibility in my life. It wasn't really because I had an expertise in tech. It was more just a practical reality of my, my life as a, as a work at home parent. That said, I do worry about some aspects of technology. And I'll, I'll give you one example, Google Classroom. I know it's been a godsend for schools in the pandemic, but I also, I felt personally when my son was introduced to it, that it kind of hooked him on technology. He's 10 years old and it became a lot harder for me to get him to go outside and play and do the things that little boys do. I have felt like it's, you know, now he's kind of into different games and things. And there's a lot of good that comes from that. He can build these incredible things online. But then I also worry that maybe it's addictive and it's keeping kids from being kids. And I don't know how to solve that because you're sort of toggling between the benefits and the disadvantages. So we personally just try to solve it by keeping an eye on his screen time and making sure he does other things. But I guess we're all wrestling with these things, right? You're absolutely right. And so, I mean, we have a a daughter and um, she's in those teenage years. And of course, she goes between her iPhone and her iPad. And I think we are not unlike your family or other families, you know, of those in the listening audience where you do have to find that balance for your children. I'm a child of the 80s. And so I can remember the majority of my time was spent outside. But then that Nintendo game system came and a lot of that time that was spent outside shifted to being inside. And so I can vividly remember 
that transition. And yeah, you, you do have to be vigilant when it comes to technology in the home because yeah, there, there is that tendency for it to become somewhat addictive. I think even as adults, we can get addicted. I, I try to deliberately not use my phone a lot on the weekend because I have to be on it or on my computer a lot during the week just to do the type of work that I do. So I try to just put it away, not check it. And it does take some discipline to do it because I think these things are designed to hook you. And plus other people are hooked. So you, you may have friends that send you a text message and if you don't respond within seconds, they think something is wrong and then they call you, right? <laughs> so it's kind of breaking away from that and just saying, look, I need some space from tech on, on the weekends or at night to do other things. But it, it, does, it does take vigilance. It definitely does. And I remember listening recently to um, a gentleman talk about the effects of technology on your brain. And so he was mentioning how every time you get an alert or, you know, some sort of notification, it actually releases, it's either um, dopamine or endorphins, one of the two. But he's saying that, you know, there's a, a chemical release in the brain where it's it makes you happy, right? And so um, I think that's something else that we definitely need to be mindful of is that that addiction to the alert or the um, notification. It's so easy to stop what you're doing and, oh, someone likes something I posted on Instagram or LinkedIn. Oh, you're so right. I turned off the alerts on my phone for social media for that reason, because you'll be in the middle of having a great conversation with someone and then it pops up and you see it out of the corner of your eye or you feel a vibration. And then all of a sudden it breaks the connection with that person that is in your life and you're not present. It's, I guess it's the challenge of our time, right? Because these things are so valuable. When I, when I think about the million dollar one person businesses, and why they started growing, it was technology, because suddenly you didn't need to buy a server to have a startup. You could really run a business from a laptop and a phone, which, which a lot of people could afford without a lot of initial startup capital. And that was tremendously democratizing and good. And there's so many people that now have the, the freedom to work from home and, and actually spend more time with their families. But the, the flip side of it is if you spend time with them, but you're not really present because you're always checking your phone, <laughs> then, then where does it get you to be working from home? So I guess it's just, you know, being mindful is really our challenge and finding ways to do that. I think it's going to be an ongoing project for most people. One of the interesting things I found was that a lot of the business owners in the book actually have some type of a mindfulness practice. A lot of them are meditators where they do yoga or something like that, where they deliberately step aside from all of that, from the business, from everything, so that they can push the reset button and have some creativity and just fresh thinking that they bring to the business. I think that's actually a, a wonderful reminder. So you talked about being present. I think if I'm, you know, being honest, that's, you know, certainly something that I struggle with and I'm sure other entrepreneurs and business leaders do as well. And so that um, that reminder to kind of lay things down and be purposeful in meditating or doing something that helps you focus on being there in the moment with your loved ones, you know, with those people that you're connecting with. I, I think that's um, an awesome reminder. 
hard to do. I, I guess we all have that challenge, right? Not not being present, and then and then something reminds you, you know, that you're not, and you get you got to bring yourself back. But it, but I think it's achievable. I you know I think when you start working on it, you can become more present. It, when you're not conscious of it, is when you're you're less. That's a great point. And actually, Elaine, that's um that's a nice little segue because. I wanted to ask you in your book, The Million Dollar One Person Business, as you were highlighting a number of the technology companies, I was curious, was there one company that really resonated with you as you were putting the book together? There's a new one that I added. I don't know that he would even consider it a tech company, but I'm going to define it as a tech company. There's a, a company called Ocean Audit, and it's run by Steve Ferreira, who was a shipping auditor. And what that means is if JCPenney, for instance, ordered a whole bunch of shirts from overseas and they came over on the ship, there's a bill of lading that is sent to JCPenney to cover the shipping costs. Well, apparently there are a lot of mistakes on these bills and they're very big mistakes, like $250,000. And the bills are public record. So what he would do was help JCPenney or whoever it was to identify the errors, but he would go to them and say, I'll tell you, you have a $250,000 error on this bill. I will identify it for you and collect it for you, but you must pay me a 50% commission, right? So he's at almost $2 million in revenue. He's helping people find money, basically helping companies find money that's owed to them. They don't pay him if he hasn't found anything. It's a beautiful business, but why it's a tech company is he was doing this manually for years. And then he finally realized, well, I could be much more efficient if I hire a developer to create a software for me to help find the errors. And so that's how he's doing it now. That's incredible. It's like he's put this, he invested in it. He put the business on steroids by investing in technology development. And I thought, that what a beautiful example of a million dollar one person business because he you know he could he could just say no the only way i could do this is manually but that that won't help his business grow another one that has been very interesting to me that isn't in the book because i um, met them after i wrote it app evolve they used to be called django force it's two guys in utah Jason Martin and Patrick Falvey, their best friends, ultra marathoners, which gives me incredible respect. I don't know. I, I've run marathons, but not like a 50 mile marathon or a hundred mile marathon. They do this for fun. And they're um, developers, they're app developers, software developers, and they built a business on Upwork, which to me is really interesting because on the platforms, a lot of times there's a, a, a race to the bottom, right? In terms of pricing. Sure always competing on price but what they've competed on is service and been quite successful they ha- they have an extended team around the world they've done a great job of building connection between the team members even though they never see each other except once a year when they have a, a get together they might fly somewhere and they all gather and i thought it just goes to show that Sometimes the conventional wisdom is wrong. There are a lot of freelancers that aren't on platforms because they think they won't be able to make enough money, but they actually built a whole agency on there. And and by not going with the flow and just embracing high-touch customer service, 
they have done really well for themselves. And there's still just two people. I just spoke with them last week. And I think we're thinking of, of starting to hire employees before the pandemic, but they put it on hold. And so they still have the extended team just really through making their customers feel very happy with the work they're doing. That, that's how they've grown. Elaine, you you gave us um, two really great examples. And I think you said um, App Evolve and Orange Audit. Ocean Audit. Um, yeah. Ocean Audit. Okay. App Evolve. It's A-P-P-E-V-O-L-V-E. If anyone wants to look it up on Upwork. And then um, Ocean Audit. Steve is interesting because he's 59. And so you sometimes think of tech entrepreneurs as being 22. And he's really embraced this in his personal branding. He has something on LinkedIn, a LinkedIn uh, video program called OK Boomer TV. And I thought, what a great way to approach branding instead of trying to be 22 years old. Why not be the age that you are? And, you know, with all the, all the strengths that that brings. And so I really like to follow his work because I think he's a very smart an innovative entrepreneur. You mentioned something interesting. So Steve has chosen to embrace the age that he is and not try to be someone or something different. As I was listening to that, I was thinking about some of the models, actors, actresses who have, I think, very recently, at least in in, in my estimation, it's been recent where, and I'm thinking of I can see her face, but I can't remember her name. And she's a supermodel from, let's say, the 80s or 90s. And is it Cindy Crawford? Not Cindy Crawford. Um, is it probably going to butcher the name? Uh, Poroskova, maybe? Um, oh, Paulina, yeah. Porzakova, I think. I'm, I'm not certain. Yes. I know she's recently been sharing photos of herself just without makeup and, you know, first thing in the morning. And I applaud her and, you know, the other actors and actresses whose names escape me right now. But I think it's just so important for you to be who you are, right? And embrace the gray hair. I'm going gray myself. And I'm, I say I'm going gray gracefully because I am comfortable in my own skin. And um, I think the time that I've lived on this earth has been, um, I've earned every year. <laughs> I agree. It has, you know, that's the thing. I think corporate America makes people feel bad about that, right? It's it, because of age discrimination. I think people realize there's sort of a time limit on those careers and they feel the clock ticking. And as they get older, they're more and more fearful of their job security. And yet you don't have to let a company define what your value is. If you have a one person business, right? It's you, you know what wisdom you have, you know what you know, your customers know or don't know, right? I think if you can find a way to bring whatever it is you offer to them and sell it in a way that you're comfortable with, I think it's a great reinforcement of, of the great things you have to give to the world, right? Because it, sometimes people have been getting negative reinforcement from their jobs because they aren't 22 anymore. And when they get out there and start a business, uh, baby boomers are one of the fastest growing groups of, of entrepreneurs. I think they are, actually. The Kaufman Foundation studies this, and they're quite successful. People sometimes feel like corporate people are an entrepreneurial, and that's one thing that I think is a huge myth. I have found that former corporate people are incredible entrepreneurs because they have big networks, 
they've been held to a very high standard of work. Usually if you, if you've risen up through the ranks in a company over the years, it's hard, it's competitive. You have to be good. So you're coming to things with a lot of knowledge and a lot of connections, which speeds getting things done when you can just call somebody and you're not pitching totally fresh. Right. (laughs) Shorthand. That's an incredible asset. You might have more financial resources than you once did too. Maybe you have some retirement savings that maybe you could tap some of that or you know, you own your home now. And so you don't have a mortgage payment. You might have certain freedoms that you didn't have as your younger self. And so I, I really encourage people to define themselves and not let past maybe harmful experience in corporate America cause you to lose confidence because I see so many people who are over 40, over 50, over 60 excelling in their own businesses. And they also have a lot of freedoms in terms of doing other things that matter to them on their bucket list for life, you know, traveling and spending time with family and friends and that, and that sort of thing. You've given me a lot to think about, and I'm sure you've given our audience a lot to think about as well. But I have this curiosity question. Who's the oldest person that you've interviewed that would fit into that million dollar one person business category? You know, I, I think the one that I know of who is the oldest is Jed Diamond, who I think he's 78. Um, he has a, a, a website called Men Alive, and he wrote a lot of books about men and health over the years. I haven't, I've, he's interviewed me. I haven't yet written the story about him, but I plan to. And I think, um, you know, he, he has a business that he built over a while. There was another entrepreneur who, was I think he's 68, who started an online store on Amazon, a $2 million one-person business called, Ain't It Sweet, I think is the name. And it, it basically sells garden supplies on Amazon. And he was, he was in his late 60s and had a number of health problems that caused him to leave his corporate career and to need to start a business. I think that it's, it's very, very possible in your 60s or 70s to do it. And you can do it on your own terms, by the way. Not everybody has to get to 1 million in revenue to have a successful business. If you live in a low-cost state, maybe getting to 60,000 in revenue is all you need and all you want to earn. Maybe you don't want to put in the hours to, to get the business past that. The point of the book isn't really you have to get to 1 million. It's like, what is your version of 1 million? The enough money to cover everything and have money for emergencies, but also have a really great lifestyle where you're present in your life. Well, and I think that's, that's the thing, right? What does success mean to you? And how can you live life on your terms? I think so. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, the beauty is there's so many different ways you can do it with a one-person business. Right? I, I've interviewed people who are digital nomads. That's what life on their terms is. I've interviewed you know, mompreneurs. I've interviewed you know, people that are almost looking for a facsimile of corporate life, but just in their own house or in a co-working space. And they, there's space for everybody because you're the boss. You get to decide what work looks like. And work might be done only at night. It might be done only in the early morning. It might be done throughout the day around your kid's schedule, but it doesn't like you don't have to follow any rules as to how it gets done. Just the fact that you just need to get it done somehow. Exactly. Yeah. Just um, do it right and do it well. Exactly. 
and you can learn too. I mean, you don't, I think the thing about a one person business is there might be some, maybe you add new product lines or services. Not everything you do is going to be perfect or work out, but you have the freedom to experiment. As long as you have a core of something that you can sell that you you're confident about, you'll have opportunities for growth as you do this. And it doesn't matter if everything is perfect on the first attempt. Very well said. And so let's do this. I want to find out, and you touched on it a little earlier, but go ahead and share with our audience, what does technology use look like in the Poffelt household? Oh, so funny. Well, it's very different, right? Because we have my we my husband and I, we're Gen Xers. So we're, you know, for us it's probably like Mac computers and iPhones and that that's about the extent of it. I you know, I have different apps to make my business more efficient. I use Everlance to track my mileage on my phone and you know, various I use bench accounting to do my bookkeeping. So I have I guess it's, they say it uses artificial intelligence. So maybe using AI in my business indirectly, but they've automated everything. I don't have that much to do with it other than to give them the documents that they need. That's probably the extent of it. I don't, you know, I'm on a lot of podcasts. So I have learned a little bit about podcast technology, but I don't use it that much myself. My son is 10 and my older girls are 16. And I've noticed they, he grew up with, everything digital. And um, he talks to his devices. You know, he, he grew up with Siri in the house. And somehow I find Siri only listens to him, not me. I seem to do something wrong. <laughs> so I say, Robert, ask Siri what the weather is. And he's like, mom, you didn't say, hey. And I'm like, I don't really like being forced to say, hey. So I think I just look on my phone to find out what the weather is. <laughs> and so he finds this very ridiculous. My older girls text a lot. They're teenagers too. I have a 14-year-old girl and two 16-year-old twin girls. And they that's how they communicate with their friends. They do a lot of video chats. My one daughter, the middle daughter, has been doing gymnastics outside. And, and I thought tech does bring us together in this pandemic. She has her mats set up in her yard and her friend has the mats set up in her yard. And they're, they're showing each other the gymnastics. They have their cameras on and they're chatting and kind of playing together in different backyards across town. And I thought, wow, this is wonderful. And, you know, she's missing her friends and she found a way to keep in touch with them, which is, which is just wonderful. So I guess, you know, we're, we're pretty tech dependent, like most families. Yeah. But it it sounds, especially um, the example that you gave of your daughter, you know, they're, they're finding creative ways and, and it's, it's a, it's a blended use of technology, you know, having, the gymnastics going, but being able to film it and have it um, seen by your friend who's on the other side of town. I think that's really cool. It's been fun. And and we we use social media. I use it mostly for work. I, I prefer with friends. I used to keep in touch with friends more on things like Facebook, but then I thought, you know what, I'm sitting here on a screen when I could pick up the phone and call them and have a an extended conversation or actually see them, which is hard to do when you're a working mom. And, you know, spending my time on social media takes away from the little time that I actually have. So I use it once a day for work. With my kids, I'm pretty careful about that because I do worry about online predators and that sort of thing. One daughter likes to draw a lot. And she has been building a following on Instagram with her 
her artwork, but that's the extent I think that they're using it, unless I don't know something that, <laughs> that they're not sharing. Well, Elaine, you know what? I am so glad you shared what your family is doing as it relates to technology. And so let's continue in that vein and learn a little bit more about Elaine herself. And so I'll ask you this question. Um, what is your favorite musician or band? Oh, that is that is so hard. You know, it, it's funny, Sean. I I was I, I've been going on a lot of long walks, and I it, I, I was getting tired of my playlist because I play the same songs over and over again. My walks are, are just, sometimes my walks are ten miles long. But let me look for some songs that I really like. And I was going through the different decades, and I realized that my favorite rock music was from 1973. And what does this say about me? (laughs) I I find if I play the greatest rock hits of 1973, that I I have a lot of my favorites on there. I like like a lot of classic rock, I guess. um, Probably a boring choice, but... (laughs) No, it's... I can't really name a favorite. Oh, that's fine. And so I, I think, you know, this is one of the reasons why I ask the question, because there's no right or wrong answer. Some people, their favorite artist or group falls in the blues genre or jazz or heavy metal or hip hop. And so it it's always fascinating um, to find out a little bit more about the person. And so, yeah, there there truly is no right or wrong answer, Elaine. Well, how about this? How about a favorite hobby? I think I've shared with you that I love doing Taekwondo with my daughters. We've actually been doing virtual Taekwondo. Thank you to my um, my teacher, Jim Cahill, which has been such a blessing during the pandemic, just seeing the familiar faces from our class, even though we can't do the sparring right now. Um, we can do the forms and other parts of it. And it's it's been really nice. It's something I never thought I would actually I started bringing my daughter to the class and then I was sitting there and thinking, oh, I always complain. I have no time to exercise. I might as well join the class. Next thing you know, eight years later, we're still all doing it and we're hooked. (laughs) 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 That's my my hobby. Okay, great. Well, it's a fun hobby and very healthy as well. And of course, the mental aspect of it, I'm, I'm sure that helps as well. It's a good, it's kind of a mind-body thing. I hadn't thought of it until we just had this conversation, but because it takes a lot of concentration to do the forms, I've never been able to meditate. So maybe, maybe this is a substitute for meditation in some way. I don't know. Yeah. I think as, you know, as, as long as you are doing something that helps you physically and mentally, that's definitely a plus. I know we are still in the midst of um, the global pandemic, but what would you say is your favorite vacation spot? It would have to be Jamaica. My husband and I used to go there every year before we had four kids. <laughs> and it wasn't a plane <laughs> ticket. We used to go there and there's just something so peaceful about it and so beautiful. I would like to go back with the kids. We haven't done it yet, but now they're all old enough to fly. And we went, we were able to fly again without too much stress regarding um, PP and everything else. I, think I, I would like to go back there. Great. And Elaine, what one person are you following that's inspiring or innovative? There's so many. One person that, whose work I really like a lot is Dory Clark. She wrote Entrepreneurial You, and she's written a number of other books on entrepreneurship. And 
I guess you, you, we're in the same space, but I always learn from the other people in my space. I, I really um, enjoy learning about her work. And another person whose work I like a lot is Paul Jarvis, who wrote Company of One. He also is a big fan of the one-person business. He's got a slightly different take than I do. But I, I love the fact that there's a conversation among book authors about this because for years, no one took the one-person business seriously. They weren't even really counted. And, and now they're being counted and, and, and people are talking about them and putting their own spin on it. And so that, that really interests me. I'm sure it's in, incredibly gratifying when you have um, yeah, this, this dialogue about that one person business and its viability and you're, you're seeing and, you know, there are a, examples of, you know, the viability and the sustainability of that business model. What's funny, in, in a space where there aren't that many people really talking about something, I think in, in fields that are bigger, there's a lot of competition between people. But I feel like in our little niche, everybody's glad that the other people are there because it kind of makes the whole phenomenon stronger you know, when, when there is a conversation about it. So I, I, I hope more people start writing about it and talking about it. I think... You know, just as you mentioned, you know, for, you know, for the authors or, you know, for the, for the writers and speakers that talk about it, it's gratifying. But I think also for folks like myself that sit in the chair of entrepreneur, it's incredibly encouraging for us to know that there are folks that are doing well, um, living their best life and living life on their terms. Yeah, I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, I keep on looking out for more because I never get bored with this subject, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> right. No, there, I'm sure there's um, multiple additions and revisions um, to the yeah million dollar one person business, um, you know, that we can be expecting from you in the future. Well, I hope there's a, a ten million dollar version one day. You know, <laughs> we're not there yet, but but I think no one ever thought for years that there could be a million dollar one person business until we saw the boring census statistics proving it. No one knew. So oh. who knows? When I I feel like it's it's kind of like the four minute mile, right? No one thought yes. that, and then all of a sudden somebody does it. I think it was what Roger Bannister. And yes think that they can do it too. And it turns out they can. And then what, right? Who knows? Elaine, I got super excited because I was thinking the exact same thought, The Four Minute Mile by Roger Bannister. I think it was in the 1950s or somewhere around there that he did it. And prior to him doing it, it was thought to be physically impossible for a human being to run that speed in one mile. And lo and behold, right after he did it, someone in high school ran that time or better. And I think that's, you know, that's the thing. Once you see something happen, you realize that it's possible and it gives you something to go after. Oh, for sure. For sure. It, I think that um, we're seeing a lot of barriers come down with small businesses. Uh, one, one of the biggest barriers that's come down is that you don't need as much access to capital to build a very successful business. And once that's gone, that means that a lot of people that are closed out of small businesses can now run them. One of the interesting things that I've learned from some Fed data is that 
both women and people of color are overrepresented statistically among non-employer firms, the ones that have no employees that I write about. And I thought, well, that's great, right? Because that means that those businesses could become million-dollar one-person businesses. And then once you're in that position, you can help other businesses. So there could be some sort of a positive domino effect from it that we'll see going forward. The data still hasn't, it's not in because it hasn't happened yet, but there's tremendous growth in both of those communities in terms of creating one-person businesses. And what I hope and what I'm seeing a little bit of is that the people who set policies put more gasoline on it, right? And, And, you know, fuel it and help these businesses to grow. We saw with the CARES Act for the coronavirus recovery that these businesses didn't really get the help that many people thought they were going to. It seemed like a lot of the Paycheck Protection Program funding went to the bigger small businesses, but they say there's going to be another round of funding. And I'm hoping that a lot of attention is paid to these businesses because I I feel they're a national resource. I think it's just fantastic that there are about 28 million small businesses in the U.S. and 26 million are non-employer businesses. And if we actually supported them and gave them the help that other businesses get, who knows what they could accomplish. I mean, they're operating with with no help from anybody at this point. They're just people that are driven to create something and look how far they've gotten already. That's what I'm really excited about, just seeing where this goes, because especially with, with if we go into a recession, usually more people start businesses. So that means there's going to be a tremendous talent pool of very qualified people going into entrepreneurship. And usually they start at the one person business level. So we'll, I think we're going to see a lot of exciting businesses get created. That's kind of actually, I should say this, um, when I was updating the book, what I noticed was a lot of the businesses that I wrote about either started in the last recession or immediately after. So sometimes these scary times can actually be a good time to start a business. I'm thinking of the um, the motto for the city of Atlanta. It's a phoenix rising from the ashes. That's what is resonating with me in what you're saying, that out of these times of economic distress and job loss and things of that nature, People are resilient and they are creating enterprises. And I was going to ask you, Elaine, um, as a follow-up, are you seeing anything in your experience where these one-person businesses are maybe collaborating with each other to create some sort of economies of scale and maybe taking their product or service and joining with another to create kind of a, a super product or super service? Oh, definitely. You know, one really interesting trend that I've seen, Sean, is there have been a few investors who are acquiring the million-dollar one-person businesses and putting them under one roof where they provide some of the back office services, like the you know, maybe they do the QuickBooks for all the businesses or they help do marketing collectively, but they keep the owners on as, as um, equity holders, but maybe also employees. and they make something bigger out of all of them. There's one um, investor, Richard Jalachandra, who's in the Austin, Texas area, and he had set a goal of acquiring $100 million one-person businesses. Um, I interviewed him for Forbes. The interview is still online if anyone's interested, but I thought that was 
fascinating to me. And he, he had been the chairman of ClickBank, which is a marketplace for informational products. Oh, I remember ClickBank. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there, I guess they still exist. And he was coming across a lot of million dollar one person businesses. And from a business perspective, when you think about them, if I mean, most of them are other than the ones that have inventory, like the e-commerce businesses, most of them have pretty low overhead and, and pretty high profits. So he, he saw a lot of opportunity in this space. And I know of three funds that are doing this type of thing. There probably are more that I don't know about. So that'll be an interesting area too, because when you start combining them into like a little conglomerate, what is, you know, what does that look like? That's, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Oh, that is fascinating, Elaine. That is very, very fascinating. It also gives people an exit strategy, right? Because people always thought you couldn't sell a one-person business. It was too dependent on the owner. But one of the um, qualities about these businesses that they tend to have in common across industries is they put systems in place so that the work isn't really done all by the owner. They might use contractors, they use outsourcing, they use automation so that another person could pretty easily step in if they acquired it. So that means that they're not just bringing in high revenue, but they have built a valuable property. The business becomes an asset, whereas a pure service business, you know, if you're, um, say, a graphic designer, you can't really sell that business to another person because it's based on your design talent and your relationships. Maybe you could sell your customer list or something like that, but the person you sold it to would still have to have the same level of design talent to step into your role. So this this gives them something else as far as a a source of of income from the business. I think that's that's great because one of the things that you do want to happen with your business is for it to be able to create some sort of generational wealth or be able to leave an inheritance for your family. And so, yeah, if you've built the business to the point where it is an asset and it's attractive to someone else um, to purchase, then yeah, you've, you've really done well for yourself and for your family. That's a really great point about generational wealth, because we put so much into our businesses that if you could actually give that gift to your family, it, it's very powerful. One thing I would encourage people to do if you think you'd like to go that route is maybe make an appointment with a business broker years before you want to sell it and see if they think it's sellable because there could be, it could be that maybe you have several different areas of the business and one part of it could be developed into that asset. Even if some of it is dependent on you, maybe there's one revenue stream where it's, it's sort of agnostic as to who runs it. And a business broker knows what it takes to sell businesses. So they might be able to help you put the systems into that one part of the business so that you could at least sell that. That is phenomenal advice. Kind of seeing however many years down the line, is this viable? Is this sustainable? You know, and like you said, even if it's not the entire business, maybe there's an aspect of the business that the business broker can help you see value in. And then, yeah, you develop that into the asset that, you know, would be sold down the road. Um, Man, that's good stuff. It's an exciting possibility, I think. And and when you think that there's so many people that are starting the one-person businesses, it might be something that a lot of people haven't thought about because we've all been told that our businesses can't be sold, right? (laughs) So so 
thing. I mean, it's it's really incredible when you maybe you're sitting on an asset that you don't even know you have. Yes, it's like sitting on an acre of diamonds and not even realizing it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, Elaine, we have come to the place where we're gonna round out our questions for you, and so I wanted to ask. What advice would you give to 18-year-old Elaine? I would say surround yourself with positive people because now at my age, you know, as mother with four kids, I think for everybody, there's going to be times when life is very hard unexpectedly. And we're in one now where it's collectively hard, but sometimes it's just going to be hard in your own personal life and not for other people around you. But if you have positive, supportive people in your life, they can help you get through it and see things that maybe you can't see for yourself. When I look at my life, I feel like, although we're talking about building a million dollar one person business, that stuff is, is not permanent, right? It's, it's money helps you live, you know, a sustainable life, but what really sustains your soul is the people in your life. And so make time for your friends, make time for your family and prioritize them because that's going to be the most important thing in your life, probably. Elaine, that is such sound wisdom and advice. Yeah, to your point, we definitely want to make sure that, you know, we are perfecting our craft, doing well in our business or, you know, our vocation. But yeah, the most important thing, you know, the the legacy that we leave really is in the relationships that we have. I agree. And, and that brings us back to how we got together in the first place, Sean, right? I'm so, I'm so glad that we have kept in touch. And there's so many more ways to meet people that are like-minded and that are interested in the same things that you're interested in. So it's, it's really a matter of, of making the time to have conversations like we just had and keep in touch. I could not agree more. Yeah, it feels like we have, you know, kind of come full circle, um, you know, during during this podcast episode. And so, um, Elaine, I am going to say um, unequivocally that uh, this is one of the best episodes I've done. I thank you so much for um, everything that you've shared. But more than that, thank you for your humanity. I thank you for the wonderful person that you are. And um, I just really appreciate getting the opportunity to um, let the rest of the world know how great Elaine is. Thank you so much, Sean. And it's been so nice getting to know you. And thank you for your humanity and all that you're doing to bring people together. This is just a wonderful podcast. And I'm just so honored to be a part of it. Well, thanks. And so, Elaine, before we let you go, tell our audience how they can best get in contact with you. They can reach me... Um, at my website, elainepofel.com, and the spelling is in the um, the show notes, um, or on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter under my full name, or at the million dollar one person business.com with all the words spelled out in words, not numbers. And I do encourage people to use the contact box, write to me. I do write back, as Sean will attest. That's how we got in touch. <laughs> this is true. She does write back, folks. I do write back. I, I love hearing from entrepreneurs and budding entrepreneurs, and I'm happy to be a sounding board if you need some advice on how do you get started in a new business. I've been there myself, and I, I'm always happy to talk to people about that. Awesome. Well, of course, we will have. Elaine's information in the show notes. And Elaine, again, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you, Sean. This was great. And Tech and May Presents audience, thank you as always for listening and being a part of our 
podcast family. We just really, really appreciate you. And be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends. And thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.